You're welcome to the Locker Room Podcast from dailysportscience.com. This is number 65 episode. Um, I'm here with Ross Bennett. Uh, what we're going to speak with this week is ILPs, so that's Individual Learning Plans for Players. Ross, it gets called different things in different organizations, IAPs, ILPs, IDPs. Can you can you tell us what you, from your point of view? Uh, yeah, I've I've worked in places where it's been IEP, IOP. I've heard other clubs like you said IDP, individual programs. I call it. I think it's easy enough. <laughs> exactly. We keep it simple. The FA always want to complicate things anyway. So <laughs> individual uh, plans. Okay. Um, just before we jump into it, then uh, remember to head over to dailysportscience.com, uh, the CPD for. Gaelic football and, and football coaches and hurling coaches, uh, an online service. Um, we're running a, an offer at the moment, actually, Dealey 40. So that's all caps Dealey 40 for 40% off. Um, and head over dealysportscience.com. Okay, Ross, thanks for joining us again. I know you're away with um, with the team at the moment in the, the hotel. How? So do, just tell us, first of all, what, what are ILPs? Yeah, I think in its simplest form, Kiers, it's an individual programme ready to develop a player. So there to enhance the development of a player. And I know we'll come on to it in terms of like the difference between maybe different age groups and especially working at senior level and first team level. But it shouldn't really change. Like you have a group of players that you want to play a certain style, certain philosophy to ultimately either develop players or win games. So every player then has to have a programme within that to develop them. Like no player you're working with is like 100 out of 100 unless you're working with top end Ronaldo, Messi, and even they've got things to work on. So it's just making sure there's focus um, to, to that to that player and what they need to work on. And there's clarity. I think it's really important that the player understands what they need to do to get better. Because often, like just that simple clarity with the player, or often without you even implementing anything special, will just shine a light on what they need to do. So that alone will create some behavior change and and hopefully you know in a positive way. So essentially it's just it's just a program that's got lots of different processes to it that we'll discuss about to enhance the player's development or performance yeah i think it's the probably next level or the highest level of coaching that you can get to by breaking down your session that your session is kind of geared towards each individual players rather than your team and to me that's the real essence of coaching and it's it's without doubt the hardest part of coaching yeah, well, I think it's done in different ways. And I think there's more there's more obvious ways that you can do it, where you set certain practices up to really work on certain things for players. But I think it's, there's also very other subtle ways, like things like matching players up with certain players so that they get the outcomes they need. Um, if 1v1 attacking is, is, is something someone needs to work on, like don't put them with someone who's really poor at 1v1 defending because A, they're not going to be challenged enough or maybe the, the defender might be too good at 1v1 defending that they don't get enough success. So I think yeah. as long as you're talking thinking about these sort of things, then you start to do things in a very subtle way. And as long as the player then understands what it is about the 1v1 attacking, maybe it's that they're not, they're not as direct as they could be, they've got physical qualities that they don't utilise, or they don't come inside because they're too predictable trying to go on the outside. These sort of details then, as long as the player's aware of it, then they're going to get some improvement and have some thought process in the session. And that's without even setting up specific things. Yeah, I think it, I think it's interesting because once your eyes have been opened up to this kind of approach, this really individual player specific approach in in your coaching and in the whole program and the whole setup, you kind of wonder, you know, what you did before. 
you know, that it seems like it's really, it's kind of a, somewhat kind of a new thing that even in the, in, in football now in England, whereby development coaches like our own manager at QPR, you know, Michael Beale has really worked his way up from under eights, under tens, Chelsea, all the way through the academy system. And then they're actually, in some ways, they're implementing that same approach at first team level, at the highest level that they did at a really young age of, of academy players. Yeah, and I, th- I think like not not to say that anyone who hasn't come through the academy system isn't a good coach. That's that like there's de- yeah. definitely good coaches that haven't come through that process. But I think that process allows you to to really get an understanding and a feel for development and improvement and teaching. And that then shouldn't be any different to the first team. It, all all that changes is that the, the the end result in terms of what you want at the weekend changes because you must get three points. But in terms of improving the players. Obviously, it comes down to the number one, what is their position and what's their job role? Like that's that's number one. We call it like job description and we have to like reference Chris Ramsey as well, who's, who's been banging the drum with us in the academy for, for 10 years. Like what's the job description of that player? And then within that job description, you have to find the strengths of the player and the limitations. So you have to work on their strengths to make them super strengths. And that's where the individualization comes. So not only is it like bespoke to the position, but what is it specifically that that player needs to work on? So if you've got a centre-half, heading is one of the biggest requirements. You might have a, a centre-half whose heading is very good. So we want to make that super strong. That's a strength. But you might have a centre-half whose heading needs improvement. So how are you going to improve that heading? Is it the technique? Is it a physical thing? Um, all these sort of things. Is it a psychological thing? All these things come into your mind about how to improve it. So job description, number one. And then number two, then like the nuances of what that individual needs within that position. Yeah. Is it the case that, let's say, you have a, a, a young centre-back and they can't head the ball? Is it the case that that player then is not going to be a centre-back? Well, yeah, OK. Well, I think it depends on where they're going to end up. If you're if you're in the Premier League and you're at a top club and you're at a top level and your heading is average, you might not need to head the ball that much in the game playing at the Premier League. Or if you're in Spain... You might not need to head the ball unless you're going to the World Cup and getting bombarded by England's long balls, for example. Um, but if you're playing in the Championship and League One and you can't head the ball, you're probably not going to make it. So then it's, have you got the physical characteristics to play fullback? Because you might have some defensive qualities or you might have some in-possession qualities. So that's, in a nutshell, yeah, you're not going to make it as a centre-half if you can't head it unless you're at the real top level where you don't need to head the ball that much. Yeah, interesting. Is the foundation of this like ultimately knowing knowing the positions in and out knowing what type of players you want to produce knowing uh, knowing the sport obviously as well so the job descriptions of each position and then knowing your players and devising like what what their strengths are what their weaknesses are if if we're to kind of really dumb it down and think about the foundation is that ultimately what we're talking about yeah, essentially that. And I think it's important that like everyone will have their own um, like way of packaging this and processing it. But essentially the skill set for each position should be the same across any level. You just dial up certain things for certain, certain levels. So like we spoke about there, at the top end level, heading might not be at the highest requirement for a centre-half. It'll still be high, but it might be playing out from the back might be a big one. Or it might be defending from, from when the ball comes into centre-forward's feet, defending and stopping the turn. Whereas if you're playing a little bit lower, 
lower the heading and kicking like we call it can he head it can he kick it so the steeliness of defending and that little bit lower league nuance so when all the language even though it might be slightly different the, the, the characteristics of the job descriptions are the same but you just have to apply it to the people depending on where they are in the pyramid um, so I think that's really important. And then I think when you're working with players in a development sense, like it's important that you give them all of those tools, because ultimately, if you're um, coming through at Chelsea's academy or Man City's academy, and you've got a very specific style about playing out from the back, well, the likelihood here is that player is probably going to end up in the championship or league one. So they're going to need to be able to defend in a certain way. So you have to make sure these players are rounded. Um, but just to, in a nutshell, know the position make sure you have certain specific requirements and then assess the players within that what do they need more of and and what's going to hold them back yeah yeah okay cool if first few steps then of devising an actual plan like what's what's involved from your experience and i suppose we will get on to how it's different in an academy in a first team in a ga club in a jane intercounty or in other sports like walk us through i suppose First of all, how you devise it, but just the practical steps of, you know, meeting as a coaching staff or meeting the player or or getting their thoughts back. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, like first thing I spoke about early on was about clarity, and it's it's about um, a group of coaching staff or even yourself if you're the only coach for the group, and we got to you know make sure this is applicable for everyone at all levels. You might not be able to have three or four coaches working with you, but whoever the coaching team are and the and the multidisciplinary team, first of all, it's about assessing the players and discussing the players. Like how often do does a group of staff get together and really in detail speak about the players, about what they've seen, about how they're doing in training in matches is um, also what the player feels, you know, getting some feedback from the player. I think that's important as well, what they feel they need to work on, because quite often they'll know. Sometimes they'll need tweaking and gearing in the right direction. But first of all, there needs to be a consensus and, and a clarity around what that player needs and what's the essential requirements for that player to improve. You, we've all seen it like defenders in training before training practicing their shooting for example yeah. and then they might come up and say oh I think I need to improve my shooting but that's not going to be the thing that gets you to the top level or even stops you getting to the top level so yeah. let's park that and let's focus on something more specific and, so, and, I, do, and I do think for instance like obviously did they do need to work in the shooting because the shooting is terrible, but actually that's like for the good of the team, there's no point. And for the good of that player as well, it's not an essential thing. It's like every player could, I'm sure, improve their heading, their passing, their tackling, their shooting, their scoring, their positional sense, their physical attributes, everything like that. But it's really categorizing those, you know, what are the most important things, ranking the things most important for that position and for that individual, I think. Exactly that. And that's why that's why you have the job descriptions and the positional profiles, because you have your essential lists that like they focus you on what the player needs. So the things become a bit more objective. So if you've got a certain position and you've got five key things out of possession as a defender that you think this second half needs to be good at, stopping the turn, heading, clearances, so on and so forth, uh, interceptions, then you can just quickly go through the criteria and say to your coaching staff, right, what do we think? Go to the player. What do you think? How good are you at this? Okay, that's our starting point now. That's where we need to work. So number one is clarity to the to, to the player. And just that alone will make sure the player, as long as the info is right and the stuff you're giving to the player is correct, 
that will get them to think about training in a different way. So when they're doing a possession practice, that might just seem a midfield practice where it's just multi-directional, no direction, just a simple, um, let's say 20 passes equals a goal, for example, or 77 possession. Now that defender's now thinking about interceptions when he can intercept. He's thinking about stopping the turn when the ball comes into someone he's marking. He's thinking about his 1v1 defending, where to show and, and making play predictable. So already without even implementing anything and putting on an average session, that defender's thinking about the game different. So yeah. I think that's number one. I think that's that, that that's the first one. Then I think it's about, okay, how are you going to bring your thought process to coaching this player within a team? Because obviously you've got a squad of 20 players, however many players you've got, and you're thinking about individual programs for every one. So there's some simple things you can do. First of all is, is coach practices that look like the game because more often than not you'll get outcomes within it so the players know that let's say for example a winger needs to pin the back post well and pinning the back post is when a cross is coming in from the opposite side right so you know 10 goals a season can be scored by pinning the back post now if you're saying that's what that person needs to work on and you never do a practice that gets crosses from the other side of the pitch then the player can never work on it so first of all practice the game so Phaser plays, LMV 11s, um, re realistic distances, you know, make sure there's an opportunity to practice the game. Um, and then the second one is matching your players up with other players like appropriately. So if, for example, we spoke about there about stopping the turn, the centre half that needs to work on that, which is when the ball comes into the centre forward, they're stopping the centre forward from turning and running towards their own goal. Well, then you can't put someone up front who likes to run off the shoulder because then they're only going to get tracking in behind because he's never going to face up and try and link up play. So you've got to think about your sparring partners. Mm. If you want a centre-half to really be competitive with direct play, then don't put a centre-forward that doesn't want to head it up against him because you're yeah. never going to kick it to him. So I think that's a real subtle way. And we used to do this years ago with the, with the current manager now at Chelsea. Like We really used to be meticulous on who we matched up. And quite often, you always pair the best with the best. So if you want to stretch your best players, put your best winger with your best fullback because that they're going to challenge you the most and vice versa. Put your yeah. best centre forward at heading the ball with your best centre half at heading the ball. Then you might say, okay, well, actually that centre half needs to learn how to run into the corridor and deal with ball in behind. So put your best runner against him and yeah. just and just be very subtle with your matchups. Yeah. Um, I, that, that's the first time I heard the sparring partner. I really, really like it. <laughs> because it, it 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 just brings the thinking to like two 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 guys or two women really going at it like technically trying to get the better of each other physically tactically and and just that's like if you think of in boxing you you pit an appropriate sparring partner with that boxer to prepare him for the next fight or to pre prepare him to win or to prepare him to develop more and so I really like that idea and it's probably just really good coaching, you know, a really good program design and session de design. But I think thinking, having these things in your mind kind of just brings focus to when you're sitting down to design your session or when you're speaking to your, you know, multidisciplinary team, if you have one um, and you're designing out the practices, it just kind of brings that framework in some ways um, to a kind of very chaotic situation, I think. 
Yeah, exactly that. And look, like it's going to be very hard to coach every single player within the session because you've got 20 players. And that's where hopefully you've got selectors, you've got like assistant coaches, you've got unit coaches to help you out within that. But at least by putting the each player up with the appropriate sparring partner, they're going to get some outcomes within the game. So as long as they've got that and clarity on what they're working on, that alone then will carry you so far with some development. Um, the, the, the key is then like tinkering with those sparring partners depending on other aspects so for example if you've got a center forward who is low in confidence because they haven't scored in five games then put them with someone you think they'll be able to dominate because they'll get some more chances and get some confidence and hopefully those sort of tinkering things will will just like along the season and along the their, their development like journey will yeah. just help them at certain times of their career yeah yeah and even i suppose if you have a forward who loves you know, getting in behind or running the channels or something like that and doesn't like the physical aspect of the game, obviously you're going to have to put him in those situations as well, aren't you? Because come the game on Saturday or Sunday, you know, the opposition manager probably knows that, okay, let's let's get physical with that guy. Let's, you know, put him under a little bit of pressure. So you're preparing him for those situations as well. Exactly. And that's where your coaching goes to a new level, because what do you do then if you if, if you want to avoid them running in behind and being their strength, you limit the space in behind. So you do a function where you start just below the halfway line, the back four are deep, so there's no space to run in behind. The only way you can play is to his feet and he's going to get physical interaction. So they're, they're the sort of things you need to think about, the what ifs for the weekend um, and, and how you're really going to develop this player, not only for the player, but for the team as well, if you're at top level. Yeah, very good. Very interesting. Okay. Um, so that's, a, I suppose, that's a, oh, I was going to mention one thing, actually. You need smart players as well, because I remember setting up, a, we had a number of practices in preparation for one the week, a weeks with London. And one of our defenders who actually was a really, really good defender, maybe didn't think about the game as much as he should have or his own kind of approach or something like that. And he complained to me, you know, as the, I was designing the sessions that there wasn't enough specific stuff in there for him because I think, I don't know, we were setting up a, a phase of play that worked on, you know, players running on the, on the counter in a disorganized defense and stuff like that. I, I can't remember the exact details, but like my answer to him was that surely in every single practice and situation, once you know what, what's my, what are my position essentials, what's my job description, what's my individual action plan or learning plan, like there's stuff to be gotten out of every single practice, surely. And you'd hope that, you know, with that education and talking and which we would have done a lot of that players would, would be sharp and smart about, okay, actually this is not exactly for me, but there's lots in this practice that I can get, you know, that I need to improve on or work on. And, and that's why, and we'll come on to the specific unit stuff that we didn't touch on, like outside of the session or slightly different to the session in a minute. But that's why I like the concept of having those unit coaches, because, for example, if you've only looking after five or six players for a back for a defence, you can say even in a technical practice. So if we look at like a technical passing practice in football, like how relevant is that to a centre half? Well, it is because you'd step into midfield and you'd play five yard passes, right hand, left hand to your midfield player. So every time you're passing six yards to the mannequin or to the right hand side to the pole or to the player, that's your pass into midfield. Okay, well, when the midfielder gets it and you play right hand seven yards, that's your combination within the midfield. Okay, well, when when the number 10, that's your ball into the front man. So you, you, you've got all these pictures that you're creating. So, okay, it's only a basic passing practice, but you all play six yard passes on the pitch. 
you just play in a slightly different area so but like i think then it's like what's in it for me well there's like you said it's there's everything in it for you you just have to recognize when and where you do that in, in the game yeah okay cool all right well let's let's touch on that then because so we have the kind of team session and how you set up the practices you know individually for certain players to get outcomes out of that what about then as you mentioned the kind of little unit practice for players and and like i'm guessing that can be before the session after the session away from the session um or maybe you know are you speaking about in the session where a particular yeah. coach as well can grab that group of players and bring them to another part of the pitch and work on stuff that they want to work on yeah i think this can be done in a whole uh, multitude of different ways like we talk about arrival activities like we brought that into london about players who got there slightly earlier they had specific things to work on um and stuff after you always see in football like the, the forwards would always do some finishing at the end of training that's 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 been there for years <laughs> so the concept's always been there but it's just probably not been thought about that much but for me i think it has to be part of the session so like i love having these type unit type practices twice a week and when i was actively coaching the, the kids at qpr we used to put it in twice a week one on a, on a match day plus two so that the intensity was a little bit lower but you were working on specific things depending on what they needed and what came from the game um, and then on a Thursday where things were let's say a bit more geared towards the individual and how the individual fitted into the game plan within phase of plays and prepping for the weekend so if you want to a pullback to work on crossing if you play a function or a phase of play, you're going to get that at some point in, in that practice, but you might only get three or four reps of it because of the nature of the game. And that's more realistic to the game, I understand. But if you want to work on their crossing, you have to work on their crossing. So you set up a practice that works on a fullback's crossing and you might get 20 to 30 reps in there. If you want to work on a centre-half's head in from direct play, you might get it in the practice six or seven times over a 30-minute practice. Yeah. But if you want to really work on the technique aspects of it and coach the detail, then it has to be done in a unit practice. Same with com combination and finishing. And this doesn't have to be unopposed. This can be a, a real a real practice, whereas 2v2, it can be however you want it. You can mix the, the units together. But for me, that's the best opportunity to work on like high repetition, um, maybe not as realistic to the game because there's not going to be 20 players on the pitch. But like I said, you can make it opposed, but you coach the detail like you've got one to six ratio of coach to player. You coach the detail. And that for me is how you get greater understanding for your players and work on what you think they need the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think as well, even though like it's not match specific in in all scenarios but you still have opportunities to kind of put them in specific situations that are little scenarios that would happen in the game like i'm thinking even that like the amount of goals that are scored from just scruffy finish you know turn first time lash on get connection on the ball you know stuff like that whereas you see so many shooting practice are just head on face to goal time to finish etc you know so you're there is a place for that obviously your technique and isolated practice of course but also just the, the whole multitude and range of movements you know and and positioning and and one touch two touch etc you know so it's a really good opportunity to to kind of do all those things yeah 100% and I think like talking about the forward there you have to be very very like clever and meticulous about the type of finish you want so you said they're like scruffy finish in and around the box is one thing from all different places defenders in the way goalkeepers in the way but it might be that like your movement to score at the back post when the ball comes across you've identified that the movement between 
between defenders isn't very good. So so work on it. Get yeah. someone to cross the left-hand side and work on the movement between two defenders and, and work on the simple five-yard finish because you think that it's either the movement that's not getting you there or it's the composure or the complacency to do it. So you, you have to be really, really meticulous. And you think over the year, not only so finishing might be your, your ILP as, as a striker, but think about the amount of different types of finish then, different types of the foot, different parts of the area different movements get on the ball different deliveries coming at you you will it's an opportunity to really work on that across across the uh across the season um and across the career i guess yeah yeah absolutely just because i suppose we haven't really touched on it just very very briefly but like uh, what I've done previously myself is work off that four corner approach of technical, tactical, physical, psychosocial. And I know, you know, in, in, in the academy in QPR, there was three corners, I suppose. There, there was like um, uh, technical and tactical t- together, physical. Uh, t- no, sorry, wasn't it? There were three. Psychosocial with the, with the technical tactical, two corner model in the end. Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So in other words, the psychosocial kind of permeated the whole model. So there was like n- nearly no reason to, to put it in specifically like that. Um, I know the, the FA have a slightly different one where they go technical and tactical together, physical, another corner, and then psychological and social separated out. And I've, I've, I'm sure it's the FA or it's, it's some other organization like that. Um, so there are slightly different approaches, but in general, that's the that's a model you can use. Yeah, well, I think like irrespective of how many corners there are, like I think just having an awareness of all of those umbrella-like terms that they all play a part within the ILP. So like there's, we spoke a lot about the technical and tactical requirements today, but obviously there's there's instances where, like I spoke earlier about the confidence being an issue about finishing. So a way that you can overcome that within the session to try to get success. But there might be an instance where that player actually needs to take that psych like aspect to the lab and speak to a psychologist or do some work for psychologists to, to help them improve. And it's the same with the physical side. Like you're going to get specific movements in training on the physical side, but someone might need to work on their their, their strength, their power, um, their stability. That might be something that's identified that's holding them back within their position. So we talk about centre-halves like heading. How good is their jump off one leg, especially if they're not that tall? If they can't jump off one leg, then they're already limited before technically they even try to get better. So you have to take it to the lab and look at the off-pitch stuff as well. Yeah. And, and and I put in there as well the analysis, like how are you utilising analysis? A great tool to not only demonstrate like someone's ILP and show like top level and elite level footage, but also like reflection and, and feedback. How often are you feeding back? And like we said there, like what's in it for you in terms of like the, the session? Well, have a look, have a look at the session, have a look at how you did. What was it, what, what, what was what in it for you? And how did you do against your criteria, your job spec? So yeah. All those kind of off-pitch tools and and the MDT, that's why the MDT is so important. And having a good MDT to look at that stuff to help you like develop these plans and look at the individual in more detail is only going to help you like improve them and improve the team more. Yeah, I have to say I I 100% agree with you about the analysis because we don't have enough you know, FaceTime with these players. Like obviously in the GA world, especially or amateur or part-time, you don't have access to these players nearly enough. Uh, whereas 
the analysis is a great opportunity, like even remotely to get on the huddle account and do up your clips, write your comments, send it to the coach. The coach can reply back. You can have little groups of defenders only together discussing different things from the game or training. And it, it, it really is a brilliant tool with, with the, just as a, like a brief kind of an example, you can have a coach, a technical coach who will say about a player, you know, he's not strong enough on the ball. And you mentioned about taking it back to the lab. Like, can you just explain that concept or that process just briefly about like taking it back to the lab and what that means? Yeah, of course. Well, I think in that example, like you're talking about a strength issue. So, you know, can he sit into the player? So first of all, is it a technical issue? You have to break it down. Is it a technical issue that when he tries to sit in, he doesn't bend his knees enough or he doesn't put his weight backwards enough to allow him or her to, to, to feel the person, the defender, and make sure he can hold the ball off? Now, if technically they're okay, then there's obviously other factors there. Like, what's their strength levels like? You have to look then at the physical side. So when we talk about taking it to the lab, the purest form is what's their objective markers of strength that you've got on them? What's their work they do in the gym? Are they competent in the gym? If you'd say, okay, they're fairly strong and powerful in the gym, then it's probably a technical thing. Or depending on where they are on that, their age, it might be a weight thing. Like, are they fairly like light? Are they quite light? And the defenders are bigger than them. You know, you have to take these into account. So are, is that something to consider? Would that negatively affect their performance if you try and put some weight on them? Um, is it a factor of that in their maturity, they're a little bit undermaturated, so we just need to, to wait and have a bit of time. So that's the sort of detail we need to go through. And I think just having a good support team around you and you having the knowledge of that will just create good discussions. Yeah, and I really like the way you say about sometimes like about a confidence issue with a player. Sometimes that does necessitate a sit down with the psychologist if you have access to somebody and to go through and for them to work away, you know, away from the pitch, away from the group, the coaches, the, you know, sports science or the medical or whatever, and actually have that dedicated time because that player actually needs that work. Of course. And then it's important that the psych and the coach are in good conversation and, and are on the same page. So when the when the, the, the psych is talking about specific examples, how to overcome, you know, certain confidence issues, the coach is giving the specific context of what what the attacker needs. So it's his movement in behind is really good. But when when he becomes 1v1, his composure goes because he hasn't scored in three or four games. So how can you help that? How can you reset that player so that they just think about the technique and not about the past um, yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah, okay, just quickly on the analysis, I think it's really important that like we always analyze the games, like we always analyze the tests, but we have to analyze the, the process more. So like in training, because in training, if you're not like doing what you think you need to do to get better, and this comes from a coaching perspective, if you're not setting the, the players opportunities to develop their game, and then from the flip side, if the player's not like really investing on that clarity and trying to improve their game, then for me, the, the outcome is going to be simple. Like it's not going to be a positive one. So you have to get that process right, which will then improve the outcome. So yeah. that's why when, you know, you we do it in football all the time, but when you said all training has to be filmed, like that's a must for me. Get the analyst to, to uh, film training as a minimum. Get the players to start making their own clips on certain softwares if you haven't got the staff and get them to buy into the process because that's the main thing. No, I love that. I love that. Great idea. Um, I suppose we've kind of covered little bits, but we were just going to talk about the off-field aspect of the ILP stuff, the individual learning plans. But, I mean, you've kind of touched a lot on that, even just with the psychology and the analysis. We've got two sports scientists, S&C coaches here. We haven't really talked about the physical stuff much. But, I mean, yeah. it, it's 
it's obvious, isn't it? It's like if if you identify a player like we just mentioned there, who's you know who has some um, strength discrepancy or or need or whatever, then obviously you're looking, you're taking that then and sitting with the sports scientist, the SNC, the rehab coach, the medical team. Um, you're doing objective markers, you're measuring, you're testing, and you're you're you know devising your individual program, which that player would have anyway. Yeah, well, I think if we strip it back a little bit and go from like outside of the real integration, integrative stuff and like develop the SNC and the, the, the physical um, qualities of this player, then what's your objective data you've got on them from, from a testing perspective? What's your understanding of what they need as a position? And then that's the integration stuff. And then what's your collaboration with injury history and the medical team? And then put in place a proper individual program. So, you know, gym-based program, maybe some extra like conditioning for certain individuals if we feel their aerobic base needs some work it might be some supplementary speed drills if we feel they need to get quicker um, outside of the normal ssc program but i think it's important that like outside of the technical program the ilps are still run exactly the same from a physical perspective um and and look i always go off like mike boyle's 80 rule so like 80 percent is fairly generic in the gym there's key movements that you want to work on but that 20 percent is really individual to where that player sits on on the force velocity curve and what aspects of like the like physical development do you really want to improve them on yeah exactly okay great stuff all right um how would you progress them then and kind of tweak them as i suppose as the season goes on but it might be even more important like hopefully you're working with these players over a, a prolonged period of time like if you're with the first team or a GA club, senior club, or inter-county, you know, <laughs> you might be in the job for an average of like two years, yeah. years you know, two to, two to five. I was going to be ambitious and say two, <laughs> <laughs> probably more like two to three, let's say, uh, some people uh, a year. But, um, and, and then if you're working in an academy or underage GA or something like that, you might get to, you might get to see that player like kind of progress over, you know, a 10 year period, maybe even or a, a five year period or something. So how, how do you progress those stuff on? Like, how, for instance, how do you not come up every season and kind of go, OK, well, here's your learning plan, you know, which is essentially what you did last year. How, how do you progress that and tweak that? All right, but my head's going in all completely different directions here. So <laughs> let me try and simplify it in my brain. First of all, when when you're at the top end level and you've got new managers coming in, unfortunately, you you can't control what that new coaching staff are going to come in and say because you're not working in conjunction with each other. So a player might might hear the same thing again if a new coach comes in, but it depends on how they tackle it. So that was the first point. Let me start the academy, really, because I think the academy lends itself to being really interesting. Like the first thing is having an overall philosophy. So then it doesn't really matter if the coach changes year on year. You've got a clear outcome and objective of where you want them players at each certain age group. So before you can start talking about the individual, if you know from foundation phase, we want people to have 360 movement to be able to receive off both feet, to be able to pass off both feet, to be able to dribble with the ball um, and to be able to start to think about combining and sharing in certain areas of the pitch. Then before you even talk about the individual, you know, within those two or three years, that's the sort of criteria you're working off as a player. Now, 
Obviously, then within that, it's going to be weaknesses within certain players. They might be strong at receiving. They might be poor at passing. Their dribbling might not be very good. So they, they might start to think they're going to be a defensive type player. But it's how you how you pass what we call the baton on from age group coach to age group coach to ensure that that individual player, you know them really well and you know what you're getting when they come into the age group. So that goes on all the way up the pyramid until you get to a point where the job description and you start to understand where that player is going to be on the pitch. So it might be under 13s, under 14s, where you start to get proper positions for them. Then the job description comes into play. So have they got the round skill set that they developed for five, six years and been really mastered? And here's their individual nuances. Now, can they learn the position? And then that's a progress accordingly. And it's really about passing the baton over to each coach. They've it was their ILP last year, centre-half. Heading was really good, but stepping in wasn't, wasn't the best. He didn't step into midfield. He'd got better at it. Now he can play off his right side, but he needs work playing off his left hand. So yeah. you've already got a base there, a progression there to say, right, stepping in is working well, but he needs to play off his left hand more because he's too predictable. Um, and it, it might be like that as well, that you've kind of covered those kind of big rocks of that, the main things, the position essentials that that player needs to be good at of course you'll keep developing that and making it into a super strength but it might give you a little bit of room and space then to work on other aspects you know maybe on their wooden side or something like that um the other thing i was going to mention as well is that just thinking in terms of the ga world the gaelic games world and all that's why these frameworks and the philosophy and the the whole club and county plans, strategic plans are so important because so many clubs and counties don't have that in place. So like all you have then is completely like the under 14 coaches doing this, the 16 is doing that, the 18s are doing that, the 12s, it's like, it's not joined up thinking at all. And when, when a player goes from team to team, the, the, the messages and the coaching cues that they're getting and the philosophy that they're getting from the coach might change it from year to year. And it's completely different, you know? Yeah, yeah. The importance of that, really. Yeah, and that's really hard when you haven't got like like full time staff and systems yeah. in place and stuff like set up. But like we always say, it's really important that, for example, the under tens coach doesn't focus on the the winger like pinning the back post because they learn it on their A license course. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter at that age if they can't control the ball, pass the ball, run at someone one v one, and dominate someone one v one with expression. Then you're failing them for the next phase. So it's all about like knowing exactly what you want from your phase and your age group, making sure they're really good at that. Then if you can layer a few details on top of those basics, perfect. But yeah. don't pass the baton over when they haven't mastered the the basics because you can't work on the tactical stuff when they get when they get older. Then because you're still focusing on handling the ball, for example. Um, yeah, it, it's you know it's a really good point. It's quite interesting, then, like the point you made about so when first team manager changes, like in some ways, if the manager's uh, neck, the next manager's philosophy and approach is very different. In ways, the position essentials can kind of adapt and a change a little bit as well. Because I'm just thinking off the top of my head, you might have one manager who loves their fullbacks to play like really, really high attacking play with expression creativity get you know get it down to the end line even chance of scoring and everything like that you might have the next manager who says no 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 you sit back i want you to defend you know our number one thing is to sit back and everything like that so i mean that that can be tricky for the player but also tricky for the mdt who are trying to devise the the, the ilp for that player 
Yeah, well, the simple answer is at first team level, probably those four backs leave and you get four backs to suit the style in. Like, more <laughs> than like you know, within within reason. But like that's yeah. but that's why it's really important when you have these JDs, especially from a development perspective, you teach them how to defend and how to serve the wingers, but you also teach them how to cross and how to get forward. Like, especially yeah. now to fall back, you have to give them that all-round skill set so that whatever manager comes in, they can learn and hopefully adapt to the style. Now, if they're a specialist defender and they're adequate at going forward and the manager comes in and says, no, I want my fullbacks play like wingers. Well, in reality, that's probably not going to be the right player for that manager. So, but you have to do what you can to prepare them for, for, for every type of style and every type of manager they're going to play for. Yeah. Really interesting. Just lastly, then, uh, before I get any kind of final thoughts that, that you have yourself on it, but I'm just thinking for like the real amateur coach, or amateur setup where you don't have extra staff, you might be a coach on your own, you might be working with some younger kids, etc. Like ultimately, it's 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 about then knowing your knowing the way you want to play, so i.e. your kind of philosophy, um, knowing your players. And then just how to kind of get the you know work on the strengths and weaknesses of of each of your players. Like, is there anything you know further than that that you can do? You know, you probably are not going to sit down with each individual player because you just don't have the time, and it's just the the the, the setup that you have. Let's say. Yeah, well, I think a couple of things like everyone has their ideal philosophy of, of how they want to play. But if you're in a development, like if you're in a development age group where you're preparing these young, whatever sport it is, players to go on and hopefully get a career at some level in the sport, don't play the philosophy that you think is going to like make your ego look good and make your team look good at the weekend. Play your philosophy that's going to develop the players the most. So if some of your players need to hook the ball into channel as a midfielder, then make sure you get your midfielders to hook the ball in the channel because they're going to go and play step four and earn some money as, as a pro. Don't get them to play Guardiola-type football if it doesn't suit the players or where they're going to go. And yeah. I think that's the same at the top level as well. Play the system that suits your players. Yeah. And that's where I think some managers and coaches like fail in all different sports because they have a one style that they like and that they've always coached and the players can't do it. And they end up like failing failing the, the, the programme or losing games or whatever it is. So first of all, make sure you start is like suited to the players on where they want to go or what you have what you you know what cars you've been dealt but as we spoke about earlier think about the practices you're putting on think about what you want to improve actually put practice on to try and affect as much players as you can um, in both their strengths and weaknesses have clear job descriptions that the players are aware of so make sure they have clarity and even if that is a foundation phase that the fundamentals of movement put it up we want you to to be able to be technically proficient off right and left foot we want you to be able to play on the half turn want you to be able to check your shoulder we want you to be able to defend 1v1 and, and and win the ball and we want you to be able to dominate 1v1 in possession have those simple things and start to get the players to think about it and then naturally they'll be better at some things than they are others so they'll yeah. start thinking about their game so to be very clear have clear kind of uh, job descriptions or face specific um, descriptions and then just put sessions on that try to develop as much as you can of those over the season um, yeah yeah. Obviously, at top level, it's a little bit different. You have to think yeah. about opposition, YF specifics. Um, but in academy, I think it's a long-term process that, that you can work on. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. I, I think that's it. There's no no extra little bits that you you um wanted to mention or or anything like that. I think we've we've covered loads. Uh, I really enjoyed that chat. I think there's loads of information there for 
you know, for technical coaches and SNC coaches and anybody who's kind of interested in, you know, developing a sport and performance, whether you're at the highest level of professional football or, you know, inter-county level in the GA or even academy or, you know, your local underage club team. So I think that's, that's really, really interesting. Okay, remember to head over to dailysportscience.com. Loads of great stuff going up on the, the website on a, on a daily and a weekly basis. Um, we've got a, a beginner coach vlog series at the moment. Um, we've Stephen Poacher's webinar from this week just on creating togetherness in the setup and with some really top class stuff. So make sure you go over and visit the website. Ross, thank you very much. Good luck in your game tomorrow. <laughs> Hopefully the ILPs work tomorrow anyway. Exactly, exactly. Get that win, get that win bonus. That's the main thing. <laughs> yeah, no bonus, mate. Full of love. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Thanks, Ross. And um, we'll see you in two weeks' time. Cheers, kids. Cheers. Cheers.